0: Lord, we ask that you would use Scripture this morning to help us follow you with everything we've got, even when it's hard. We pray this in your name. Amen. Many of you have probably heard of a product called SolarCane. It's a medicine for rashes and sunburns. Do you remember what the tagline for that product has been for years? Fast, soothing, temporary relief from pain. Just think about those words for a minute. Fast, soothing, temporary relief from pain. Sort of sums up our culture in a way, don't you think? A culture that is in pursuit of fast, soothing, temporary relief from pain. We are a very pain-averse culture, and you can see it in all kinds of ways. I mean, just think about some of the euphemisms we use to avoid painful ideas. For instance, these days we don't talk about firing people anymore. The current term is right-sizing. Sounds so much better, right? I've been right-sized. Well, we all want to be right-sized, don't we? Or think about some of the products we sell. Any of you ever heard of puffs tissues? It's a Kleenex that has ointment in it. That's how pain-averse we are. We have produced anointed Kleenex for our comfort. And I know it's a great product, but just go with the metaphor. Whether it's physical, social, emotional, spiritual pain, we avoid it at all costs. And if we encounter it, We try to get away from it, try to escape through entertainment or shopping or addictions. American middle-class culture is sort of like a closed garden where we erect higher and higher walls around ourselves to keep the pain out there from coming in here. Now obviously pain is not a good thing, Pain's a bad thing. And to avoid pain is just smart. But if we do too much of it, too much pain avoidance, we miss out some of the blessings that Jesus has to give us. And our world starts to get smaller and smaller as we withdraw from everything that could make us uncomfortable. I have a friend who worked at a church that got a complaint once from one of the neighbors who lived two blocks away. Apparently, the neighbor could see a light that was on inside one of the church office buildings. The neighbor could see this light from his bathroom window two blocks away, and it bothered him. So he called to complain. That's sort of what happens when we try to avoid anything that's going to make us uncomfortable, our world gets really small and the tiniest things begin to bother us. This is the last in a series of sermons called Counterculture. How do those of us who call ourselves Christians live counter to culture in a way that is refreshing and gives life? And as I've been saying throughout this whole thing, one of the reasons Christianity grew faster than any other religion in history wasn't because the early Christians had really cool bumper stickers for their chariots, It wasn't because they had better potluck suppers than the Zeus worshippers down the street. Christianity grew so fast because the early Christians lived so radically counterculture in ways that made other people want to know who Jesus was. And one of the ways they did that was instead of running away from pain, they would move toward it with Jesus, trusting that he could redeem it. They did things like care for the poor when nobody else would. Or the example I've used here before, when everyone else would leave the city because of a plague... The Christians would stay behind and take care of the sick people, which sort of makes me wonder, what would happen if there were an epidemic of bird flu in our country? Would we all leave town? Would we stop coming to church because we're afraid of getting it? Or would we help? The early Christians moved toward pain rather than away from it, and that proved to a skeptical world and to the Christians themselves that Jesus was real. And that's what's going on in the story that we just read about Palm Sunday, At that time, everyone thought Jesus was marching into Jerusalem to kick out the Romans and make everyone happy, except, I guess, for the Romans. But what Jesus was really coming to do was to die for us so that we could be reconciled to God. He was going toward pain, not away from it. And I believe that Jesus calls those of us who follow him to do the same, to move toward pain. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that Jesus wants us to go out and purposely make ourselves miserable you know, punish ourselves in some kind of way or do something really painful like go to an accordion concert or bagpipes or (laughs) golf, depending on what drives you crazy. I don't think Jesus asks us to be masochists. That's not the issue. I think there are two places, though, that Jesus would invite us to move toward pain, two places, so that we can see Him heal that pain and have the joy that comes from being a part of that. And the first place that I think Jesus calls us to move toward is toward our own pain so that he can transform it. You know, a lot of times we have some kind of pain inside of us, maybe a a loss of some kind or a wound from childhood, and we just ignore it or try to get away from it instead of dealing with it. Or we medicate it away with alcohol or career or consumerism. But if we would just stop for a minute and move toward that pain with Jesus, he could heal it. In our church, we have what's called an inner healing prayer ministry where trained counselors help people face the pain in their lives through prayer with Jesus. And as a result, people are getting healed from all kinds of things, the loss of a loved one or abuse or a rejection. Jesus can heal our pain. I know a man whose deepest pain was he felt rejected by his father his whole life. Dad was never around when he was growing up. And if dad was around, all he would ever do is criticize say things like your grades aren't good enough or you don't swing the bat right, all that stuff. And for years the way this man dealt with it was to be angry at everyone and to become a workaholic to achieve in order to make everyone like him. Well, at one point a friend invited him to church and he was just sitting there listening to the music, wasn't a Christian, he was just sitting there listening to the music and suddenly he felt hugged. And he looked around and no one was there and so he kind of shrugged it off, but then he felt hugged again physically hugged, same thing happened. And then this phrase popped into his head and it said, you're my son and I am pleased with you. And he realized that it was Jesus talking to him, which kind of freaked him out. You can understand that. And he'd never heard anyone say that to him before. He'd heard, he'd heard people say, I'm impressed with you. I'm impressed with what you've achieved or good job, but he'd never heard anyone say, I love you for who you are. So after that, he started going to church, you would too, and started to face his deep hurt inside through prayer with Jesus. And as a result, he's beginning to realize that God is his heavenly father and that God loves and respects him. And as a result, he's becoming less angry, less of a workaholic, and the pain is healing. Jesus is healing his pain. But in order for that to happen, he had to face it. He had to face his pain with Jesus and not run away from it. And that, as Shakespeare would say, would be the rub, wouldn't it? Because we don't like to admit that we have pain. Someone asks us how we're doing. What do we always say? I'm fine. Fine. One of our elders told me this week, you know what fine stands for? Fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> F-I-N-E, fine. Sort of fits, doesn't it? How are you doing today? Fine. Yeah, you look it. Huh? Can we just all admit that we're fine in that definition of the word? That we all have pain, but if we move toward it with Jesus, he can make us whole. And then as he does that as a result of Jesus healing our pain, we can do the second thing Jesus asks us to do, and that is to move toward some of the pain in our world and participate with him in bringing healing. In the other story we read, Jesus says to the people who served in his name, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in, and all the people said, Well, when did we do these things? And Jesus said, If you did it to the least of these, you've done it to me. One of the things I think that passage means is that when we move toward someone else's pain, whether it's poverty or loneliness or emptiness in life, whatever it is, if we move toward other people's people's pain and come in Jesus' name to help, we experience Jesus. Jesus is there, and we experience him, which just makes sense. Because when Jesus was here on earth, where did he go? He had this habit of going to places where there was pain, right? The sick, the lame, the poor. He went to those places of pain because he knew he could bring healing there. So if Jesus has this habit of showing up in the places of pain, that's where he likes to go, and we want to see Jesus and experience him, well, then where would we go to see him? Well, to the places of pain where he has always promised to be and where he's promised to bring healing and wholeness. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to go do, you know, go do something big like cure world hunger or solve the cancer problem. Nothing like that. It can be very simple. I know a man who's a manager in a high tech company and he started a prayer group in his office. And as word spread, people started coming to his office with their prayer needs. And these were people in all kinds of pain. Divorce, illness, loss of a loved one, all kinds of pain, and he'd pray for them. And as a result, over time, his employees began to feel like he was treating them as human beings, not just employees. And the whole mood in the office changed. I mean, his his employees started to like him. That was different. And suddenly people were happy and there was joy. He did one small thing, just a tiny thing, to move toward people's pain. And Jesus showed up and there was joy. And that's the point. Jesus doesn't call us to move toward pain to make us miserable. Right? Don't go leaving here thinking, Pastor told me I had to be miserable to be holy, so I'm going to pout. No. Jesus has promised that when we move toward places of pain with Him, we experience Him and we see Him do miracles and that gives us joy. To me, that's one of the reasons I think the ripple effect campaign that we're doing is a good thing because it's aimed at relieving some pain. Pain of children in our church by giving them a place to know Jesus in a culture that gives them all kinds of messages that can hurt them. Alleviate pain for kids at risk in our community by what we're going to do out in the Jubilee Reach Center and eliminate pain for those kids in Africa, many of whom literally will not die because of what we're going to do. It's aimed at relieving pain. And we'll talk more about that after Easter and encourage you to come. I I promise the sermons won't be painful. I'm not going to talk about money non-stop, talk about faith and stuff like that, how to pray. As individuals and collectively as a community, Jesus calls us to move towards some of the pain in our world, not all of it, just some of it, so that we can see Him, see him bring healing and experience the joy that's part of that. I was talking with a woman from our church this week. I'll call her Judy. Judy volunteers at her daughter's school on a care and concern team that helps families in need at the school. She told me that back in November she found out about a woman who was a single mom who had to leave an abusive relationship. This woman had two kids and she was pregnant with a third. She had no job, nowhere to turn. And at the time her main concern was that her daughter's birthday was coming up and she had no way to celebrate it. So Judy sent out an email to her care and concern team and they got all these presents and they baked a cake. And Judy took her kids, showed up at this woman's house laden with presidents, pr- presidents, <laughs> laden with, that'd be interesting, laden with presents. <laughs> I brought Richard Nixon here. I, <laughs> laden with presents and a cake. And she said, Hey, I heard there's a birthday girl here today. And they threw a party. This little girl was so happy. Well, but it didn't stop there. From there on, Judy's husband went to his office and convinced his co-workers to to give this woman a job, which helped a lot. But she still needed housing because she was living in a room with two kids in a house that she shared with eight other people. So she still needed housing and they prayed about that and eventually she got some low cost housing, but then she didn't have any furniture. So Judy took her to the furniture warehouse that people from our church have started as part of our home to home ministry. Many of you have donated furniture to, to this warehouse that's helped a lot of families. Well, when they were there, Judy asked this woman, what's your favorite color? And this woman said, oh, I, I don't care, anything, anything will do. And Judy realized that nobody had ever asked this woman that very simple question. What's your favorite color? So Judy said, no, you know, really, anything will do. And this woman just kind of kept going after her, or Judy just kind of kept going after And Judy said, No. Really, what if I wanted to get you something in your favorite color? What would it be? And this woman finally said, well, I guess it would be forest green. So Judy and the people from our church set her up with a bunch of furniture. And what wasn't in the warehouse, another woman from our church went out and bought for her. And now she's in a house with furniture. To me, that is very counterculture in really refreshing ways. Here's a woman in pain from an abusive relationship. And everyone else in her life, everyone else in the culture is moving away from her pain. Even some of the government agencies she tried to deal with wouldn't help her. They were afraid she would take too much stuff. But now she's getting loved and she's being given dignity by people from our church, even in the little ways that we take for granted, like matching towels. And as a result, this woman is starting to see Jesus. She said to Judy the other day, you know, I can see that God is really watching out for me. Now all I need is to get a good man. And I'm sure God can help with that too. But to me, the best part of this whole story is what it's been doing for Judy. Judy was raised in a home where she felt she had to earn her parents' approval, that she really wasn't loved unless she achieved things. And that has been a huge scar that has run across her entire life. And as she was telling me this story, she kept getting choked up, and she said, you know, I always felt like I had to do something huge for God in order to make Him love me. But this thing was so little, it was just such a small thing, and it was so much fun. And she said, when I was at that warehouse and seeing the whole Christian community helping this woman, I felt God was just saying to me, you know what, I love you, but this is much, much bigger than you. I just want you to be part of some of the cool things I'm doing in the world. And she said, how wonderful that I get to be a part of what God's doing in the world, not out of obligation, but because he invited me in. There's a lot of pain that's getting healed in this story. The single mom's pain is getting healed in the name of Jesus. And some of Judy's pain is getting healed too. Because she steered into someone else's pain rather than away from it, now Jesus has become a little more real for her. And she watches him bring joy out of sorrow, and that makes him even more real. And as she gets to hear Jesus saying to her, you don't have to prove anything to me. You don't have to prove... I just want you to be part of what I'm doing in the world. As she hears Jesus say that to her, it is healing the scars in her life. Because she steered into pain with Jesus, she has joy. I know it sounds like a contradiction. Move toward pain and you'll have joy. It's in the Bible. If you lose your life, you'll find it. So how can you steer toward pain with Jesus? Not all of it in the world, just some of it. Not to make you miserable, but because when we do, Jesus becomes more real to us and we see Him bringing healing and and joy. Maybe it's just praying for some of the pain in your own life. Or maybe it's praying for someone else or simply listening to a friend in need. Whatever it is, when we move toward pain, we are going to a place that Jesus has promised to be and a place that Jesus has promised to redeem. There's a sculpture in the British Museum called the Tree of Life that was done by some Christians and it's made up of decommissioned weapons from the Civil War in Mozambique. And I think that is a great image of what Jesus does with our pain. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't pretend it doesn't exist. Instead, He moves toward it and He takes it and He redeems it and forges something good out of it. And that's what makes Jesus so unique. All the other gods and all the other religions, they stay up there somewhere in heaven or nirvana or whatever it is, safe from all the pain in this world. But the God who came to us in Jesus is different. And that's what Holy Week is all about. It is about a God who loved us enough that He allowed Himself to be beaten and mocked and then crucified to pay for our sins so that we could be reunited with Him. That is different than every other God in every other religion. Only Jesus has the guts to face pain square on, not run away from it. Only Jesus had enough love in Him to do that for us, and only Jesus had enough power to rise from the grave three days later and turn all of that pain into victory and hope. In His lifetime, Jesus experienced poverty and hunger He lived in a land that was oppressed by a foreign colonial power. He was a refugee in Africa and he died a brutal barbaric death while everyone he ever loved utterly deserted deserted him. Born in a barn, he died on a garbage heap and spent everything in between with thieves and prostitutes and foul-mouthed fishermen and he did it for one reason and one reason only and that reason was you. He did it for you and he did it for me. He did it so that when you're in pain, you know that God understands. God, the one being in the universe who could have exempted himself from pain, did not. So that when you're in pain, you know that God understands because he's been there too. He did it so that you would know that he loves you and respects you enough to die for you. And he did it so that you would know that no matter how bad things get, the promise of Easter is that God can and always does redeem it and pull life out of death. That's his specialty. At the cross, God let Satan take his best shot and God won. And Jesus absorbed the full force of pain that this world can dish out and then he transformed it into hope and victory and joy all as a way of saying, I'd rather die than lose you. I'd do anything. There's no price I wouldn't pay. I'd do anything just to be with you. He did all of that for you. And the question is, how will you respond? Lord, I thank you so much that you take our pain and you redeem it. Lord, I ask that as we go into Holy Week, you would help us follow you into the places of pain in our own life and maybe some in the world, knowing that you can bring hope and healing and victory and joy. Lord, we trust you for that, and we will follow you. We pray this in your name. Amen.